Oh, you're getting the eggs Benedict? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't eat propaganda sauce. <laughs> I'll do that. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us for Season 5, Episode 9 of the Presidential Podcast. We're calling this Historically Adjacent. We've gone through all the presidents. Uh, We've gone through American Gladiators. We actually got a comment from a a listener, Rob, who said that he's glad that he stuck through it. He said, listen, I I checked out during Gladiators, but I'm glad (laughs) that (laughs) you and all three of us, Rob, by the way. Don't worry. We knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see the numbers. We we had to do it, though. (laughs) You know, like once we started, we had to keep going. There was like a, a dip there. And then we started doing this, and the dipped right back up. So that well. means that people didn't fully go away, yeah, you know, which good. is great. People stuck around. But yeah, we're talking about stories not necessarily of presidents, but of just fun things in history that you may never have heard of. And they're a delight because we don't know what the other two are going to bring to the table. So uh, without further ado, Russ, take it away, man. Yeah. The person I'm talking about tonight is Oren Porter Rockwell. Oren Porter Rockwell. Are you looking at Rockwell? Because I... I was concerned that you might know who this is. You might. Is it Sam Rockwell's dad? It is not. It sounds like early 20th century. Oren Porter Rockwell was born in 1820 Hmm. in Belchertown, Massachusetts. What a great great town. Yeah. Yeah. Belchertown. (laughs) According to legend, he was related to Grover Cleveland, Ulysses Grant, and Abraham Lincoln. Huh. You don't say. At the same time? I don't know. I don't. I really don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> legend in Belchertown. There's a lot of legend here. I don't know how much is true. Good. It's yeah. fine. You'll see why. Was he better. in the circus? <laughs> uh, kind of. <laughs> of course he was. Well, no, but kind of. Um, Knife hands. So... That guy was awesome. <laughs> he was crippled as a child. Okay. Like his... He had uh, a limp. I don't remember why. Able. So he couldn't plow. Um, so which didn't make him. <laughs> so he's a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Through high school, wasn't just, plowing just anything. An he wasn't plowing <laughs> anything. But because of that, because he couldn't help out on the farm, he became... Useless. No, he became a really good marksman and oh. uh, an expert at uh, horsery, horseback riding. Oh, like Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, well, there was a bonus episode that you did. Uh, was it the Apaches that yeah. they raised their children to be excellent? I yeah. didn't do an episode of Mark that, but that is yeah. true. Yeah. It's, uh, is it the Apaches? Is it children thought, of the I mean, Flower? I, feel like children we talked about I thought you did a bonus episode on it. Maybe we did. Yeah. Yeah. We did a lot. They like went on the side and like yeah. used the horses. Oh, there was like a vice president who no, grew Ulysses up doing S. that Grant. Too. Yeah, but there was also a vice president. He was... Uh, our first Native American vice president. Comanches. It's the Comanches. Comanches yeah. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And you had that bonus episode, right? Or no, you had the VP. I think yeah, it was, yeah. 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 Okay. It was a legitimate episode. Right. But we digress. Yeah. In Belchertown, Massachusetts, he <laughs> was neighbors with Joseph Smith. Oh. of uh, Like the Mormon Joseph Smith? Yeah. Like the Mormon Joseph Smith. Like the main one. The, the first the, the guy. guy. The okay. Guy. Yeah. The guy. Yeah. He was, uh, Joseph Smith was eight years older than he was, but they became good friends. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point where... Um, I just saw him, like, what's this guy's name, Oren? Just Oren. shooting stuff as like a little eight-year-old kid. I'm just yeah. imagining like all the bloody wars the Mormons were in as they moved west. This dude was an asset. And then this 16-year-old Joseph Smith just being like, yeah. this was a plates? Yeah, this was the guy. So Oren would, uh, at night, go out and pick berries and chop down wood... In order to pay to publish the Book of Mormon. 
That is wait. Did he see him? Did he he bankrolled it. Like he is the one as a child that basically bankrolled the publishing of it through chopping wood and picking berries. Child. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was older, like as a teenager. But still, yeah. How did he chop wood with one bad arm? He had a bad leg. He had a limp. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's stood still and did he chop? If you, did he really have a limp, or was he like Kaiser Soze? He's he like, been a guy they get Soze. out to Utah, and he starts walking normal. <laughs> like Edward Norton in, uh, what is that, Primal Fear? Well, oh, sure, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I rewatched that movie. That yeah. wasn't as good as everybody said if, it was. If you were a listener, and you are of the Mormon faith, have you, please oh, let no. us know. Have you ever heard of Oren? what was his Rockwell. Name? Rockwell. Oh, they've heard of him. Oh, they have. Okay. Yeah. Did right. you ask Mike? No. As I continue with my story, I apologize to any he's, Mormon listeners that we may have. He's he's the guy that told us that dinosaurs we've told talked about this. We're on the, we're on the they ark. come from space. Oh. And Did when, you hear what I went with? I was like, were oh, the they ark. were on the ark. No, like, no, no, no. His his theory is oh, that man. like because Earth was like put together yes. by multiple like different pieces of land that were in space, the dinosaurs were already dead. On those pieces of land, okay. and so when God he smashed smashed the, it together, yeah. that's why we find fossils. That's his official stance, which he told us huh. in like a break room one day that was otherwise a normal Wednesday, and we were both like, <laughs> "We need to know everything about yeah. this. It's, we're not going to get any work done today." Yeah. <laughs> I went to the Creation Museum a long time ago. Yeah, okay. He told us about this about the Ark. Is yeah. that the one down in Kentucky? Yeah, the, yeah, the, it is. Yeah, it's uh, an Ark. You yeah. went to that. Yeah, dude, his story's me? great. Yeah, I absolutely went there. That's, yeah. a, that's the uh, Ken Ham guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The place is wild. Wow. But I remember I was at the Noah's Ark just, room. Did you just get on the wrong like shuttle? And you just no, no, no. You I went. I went there. I had to like go somewhere for work, and I was like, "Well, the Creation Museum's here, so I'm definitely going there." That's very if, Russ. If yeah, I was gonna say if you know anything about Russ, that makes that hundred percent wild. And I was in the Noah's Ark room or whatever it was, where they have like a full size Noah's Ark. Yeah, and they had a animatronic noah that was like zoltar okay you know? sure, and you yeah. could hit these different buttons that were questions and, and he, he would, would give answer you your future. yeah yeah he would give you the answer to these questions and yeah. one of the buttons was uh, how did the dinosaurs come over on the ark okay and the answer was they took them over when they were baby dinosaurs <laughs> this is very jurassic it park. makes a lot of sense yeah okay yeah. okay smart just babies and just babies okay when Joseph Smith and his family moved from Belchertown to New that's, York. See, that's that's where my knowledge of him starts is in New York State. But uh-huh. in Belchertown, yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah. He's a real okay. Jim Jones. Yep. Ooh, um, ooh, so the Rockwells and the Smiths were good friends. So the Rockwell family also moved to New York. So okay. Oren moved with Joseph Smith. They were really good friends yeah. from the beginning. And in 1830, Oren was inducted into Mormonism. He was the, outside of Joseph Smith and his family, he was the first person inducted as a Mormon. Like, April 6th was the founding of the church. Okay. That's the day that he was inducted. Wow. So this is like the original guy. He's an OG. Mm -hmm. OG, yeah. He was a little bit of a wild card. Founding chapter. Okay. Really good marksman, yeah. you know, riding horses. But also, because he was like one of the original members, he didn't subscribe to really any of the tenets of being a Mormon. Like, he never tithed. He never stopped drinking. He didn't practice polygamy. He didn't do 
any of the main things. Yeah. But he was his best friend. And he like, okay. you know, bankrolled it. Yeah. So when they f- sent out their first group, like the Saints, to Missouri in order yes. to start, he w- he was there. Like he was the muscle. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was riding shotgun on the stagecoach? Yeah, basically. Okay. Like he was. I assume he was on a horse. He was the enforcer, basically. <laughs> okay. So because people in Missouri did not like the Mormons. And they did not want them there. Correct. So he was the one that kept them from getting killed, wow. basically. They called him the enforcement arm of the Mormon church. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. In Missouri, there was the Battle of Crooked River. That yeah. was the basically the Missouri militia okay. versus the, the Mormons. Mormons. This yeah. is pre-Civil War, 18, maybe 40-ish, 50-ish? No, I think it was before that because it okay. would have been pre-Mexican-American War. Because if you remember, Mexican-American War was when they wanted to start whatever they were calling it, Zion yeah, in yeah. Utah. Right. It was probably so in the, the f- army. He was probably in his, was probably in the 1840s, I assume. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Well, because yeah. he was born in what, 1820? Yeah, what was the name of that territory that they wanted to... There was a... Yeah, because the name of the newspaper in, in uh, Salt Lake City still... Named after that. I'll check it out. I don't remember. It's not Prophetstown. The head of the militia was Captain Bogart. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Humphrey? <laughs> Deseret. 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 Yeah. The Deseret News. That's there the Salt Lake City newspaper. Deseret. Yeah. At the Battle of Crooked River, Captain Bogart and his militiamen had the high ground. Okay. And Orin and the Mormons, what they ended up doing is just charging up the hill Whew. with swords. Wow. And the militiamen didn't have swords. So they were like, oh, shit. And, <laughs> and they were, they were. We got rocks. We got rocks. <laughs> we throw rocks at them, right? No, I mean, they. Big sticks. They really like, the Mormons like massacred yeah, them. I, I and know then, that the Mormons won. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they retreated and they dropped their guns and ran away. The Mormons picked up the guns, shot them in the back. Like, wow. And then they. Uh, not decimated the bodies. Desecrated? But they desecrated. Desecrated, yeah. Like they they did terrible, like cut yeah. off their cheeks and scalped them and did real terrible things to it. Wow. Yeah. Do you know where the term decimate comes from, by the way? No. It's kind of cool. In like the Roman Empire, they would... Um, Ten friends. Yeah, it was like every 10th person would get executed <laughs> if there was something we, oh. either in the army or if they came to take over your village as like a way of saying, don't mess with Rome, don't... Just uh, every tenth person. Yeah, yeah. That's where you just learn how to be smarter than the guy next to you. Like yeah. I think, I think. Uh, uh, did he say seven? I you're just counting. Eight, just gosh, one, two, three. Oh crap! Yeah, <laughs> hold on. I'm gonna go down here. I gotta take a leak. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So they they desecrate. I wonder the if they let you just get out of line to take a leak. I can't imagine. <laughs> He's gotta pee. After that, uh, the governor of Missouri put in place Executive Order Number Forty Four, which is basically. They declared war on the Mormons after, you know, this battle of Crooked River. Persona non grata in the state of Missouri. Yeah. Okay. And then they had this, it's called the Hans Mill Massacre. Okay. So the Missouri militia just like found, it was 18 men and boys, Mormon men and boys, and just executed them. Mm. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, Governor Boggs, I think. So he was like, show me some Mormons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was on. So Joseph Smith put a hit out on Governor Boggs. Wow. Yeah. It, it wasn't 
That's not a hundred percent proven. Yeah, but uh, context clues. Woke up this morning, <laughs> and put a hit on Governor Boggs. <laughs> Checked out my golden plates. Okay, keep going, Governor <laughs> Boggs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The Sopranos theme. There it mm-hmm. is. There it is. Governor Boggs was first baseman out. for the Red Sox. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Could drink beer like it was third base. Third base. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't come on. Didn't yeah. you say he like we've talked about? He this drank twenty nine beers on one flight. <laughs> yeah. Wade Boggs is a legend. He is a legend. <laughs> Way to go, Wade. Yeah. yeah. He would have thrived on this podcast. <laughs> he would have. <laughs> or in American Gladiators. <laughs> yeah. For a while. Would have crushed yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so he was outside reading a newspaper at a. Cafe or something, and then he was shot. Uh, the governor was mm-hmm, oh, in the wow. face. Oh, with buckshot. So it oh, was. Man, he didn't have a face anymore. In the next episode, two two uh, shots hit his skull. One in the throat, and like one in the sternum. Sternum. Gosh. And they took him away to the hospital. The newspapers declared him dead, but he wasn't dead. How? I don't know. He survived. He survived the hit. Yeah, right? got no face. Uh-huh. And soon after that. <laughs> like that scene in Breaking Bad when Gus Fring comes out after oh, the yeah. bomb. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's good. That's a show that I think I could rewatch. Absolutely. I, I, I feel like I could, too. Yeah. I believe in you. Thanks. Let's watch all of... No, that's not. No. <laughs> no. Good. It's not. There's start probably already a thousand again. podcasts yeah. about that. Speaking of Wade Boggs. Cracking open a nice. fresh one. <laughs> Shout out to Wade Boggs. Okay. So right around that time, like the next day, Oren Porter Rockwell left Missouri and headed back to Nauvoo, Illinois. Nauvoo, oh, yeah. Illinois. Sure. Nauvoo, That's yeah. like the, uh-huh. that was the Illinois s- location yep. of the Mormons at that time. Yeah. 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 The, he was like, I got him. Yeah. Got him, daddy. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> got him, daddy. So, and then he was... Now watch this drive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, it's terrible. So terrible. Okay. All right, so he's in Nebu. doesn't matter. Yeah, so he was back in Nobu, and he was arrested for this... Killing the governor. For this potentially <laughs> yeah. killing the governor. Shockening. Yeah. yeah. And he was in jail for like a week, and he escaped... And while he was on the lam, he was acquitted. They got the case got thrown out. Like Weird. Joseph Smith and his crew got the case thrown out. <laughs> Had some clout, but no. he was then arrested for escaping jail. Okay. So he was thrown in jail for nine months for escaping jail, <laughs> even though he was acquitted. <laughs> You're a free man, but well, now no more. he was acquitted more. for murdering governor. Yes. He still had the charge of yes. leaving jail. Yeah, it yeah. makes it makes sense. Yeah, he was in jail for he was in jail for nine months. He was jailed in Missouri, and when he got out, it was like the middle of winter, yeah. and he walked back from Missouri to Nabu, Illinois. This, it sounds like a place a Star Wars. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Nabu, Nabu, yeah, Tatooine. I think it's pronounced Nabu, right? Let's just say it is. Why would we have to care about how Illinois pronounces things? You know what? That's a good point. Thank you. So he walks back, back to Naboo, and he gets there on Christmas Day. Okay. And he goes to Joseph Smith's house, and Joseph Smith is having, like, a Christmas party. (laughs) Oh. Okay. I didn't realize Mormons celebrated Christmas. Sweaters, eggnog, all of it. I don't know anything about Mormons. 
Um, One of my best friends in high school and to this day is, is Mormon. And it's, uh, it's a side combo that we can have. Uh huh. Yeah. My neighbor's Mormon and he's a mailman. All right. We don't talk. (laughs) (laughs) We don't talk about Mormons. No, no. So he shows up at Joseph Smith's house on Christmas and Joseph Smith calls the cops. Um, okay. Because the guy, like, falling out. No, he's he looks like a like a homeless person. He's oh, got like oh, yeah. he's like who is this be- guy? Yeah, long yeah. beard. It's me and, from the farm. Yeah, yeah. Mark's yeah. Menorin. So he called the cops on him and then realized who he was and called the cops off. I don't know. Were there phones back then? This How is kind of like a cousin Eddie kind of situation yeah. in yeah. Uh, in National Lampoons. Yeah, but he he liked him. Like this guy yeah. is his ride or die. You know. Yeah. <laughs> So he called the cops off, and then that night, he declared that, Smith declared that if Rockwell doesn't cut his hair ever, he won't be hurt. He will be invincible. Samson. He's Samson, Samson, modern day. Yeah. Or 1840. Yeah, sure. Well, they're modern. modern. Yeah. Yeah. That That was the Nazarite vow. Yeah. 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 The Nazarite. So from then on... He thought he was invincible. Wow. <laughs> Perfect. He seems like he has the brain for that. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, better not meet anyone named Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> but so he, he thought he was invincible and it kind of proved out because oh. like he was the enforcer. He was a great marksman. He would like do the dirty work for the Mormons. Steely Dan. Great song. Yeah. We it was talked probably about, about him in the previous episode. What if it was about him? It's not. It's, it's not. Well, the name of the band's not. No, that is not Steely Dan. But certainly not the song. the song. I see what you're saying. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there was multiple incidents after that where he wasn't alone. Like there was people watching yeah. where he would get shot. Like Jeez. people would just unload on him and he wouldn't be touched that was a very yosemite sam gesture yeah. that you just did <laughs> yeah that's nice <laughs> rootness tootness mormon in town <laughs> <laughs> he was like yosemite sam yeah like if you see pictures of him it's like long beard yosemite sam had a beard right he, had a, uh, he did a fu manchu well, okay, he didn't look exactly like him, but Very he had tiny legs. He had that Yosemite Sam kind of Swagger. mentality. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. They said he I blew off the governor's face. Wasn't, I say, wasn't I say. the um the like uh prophet from Prophetstown, he thought he was invincible too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Till he yeah. wasn't. Till he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I think this guy was. Okay. Okay. I think this guy might have been. I mean, the Native Americans in the area yeah. respected him. Because they couldn't kill him. Remember yeah, that story it was a shaman. Remember the, uh, yeah. about George Washington? They did the same thing about him. They're mm-hmm. like, he's he's untouchable. That, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, this is like George Washington. He's yeah. just like six foot four redheaded guy now, just yeah. on a it horse. Could have been, it could have been. And attacking this is, people at Christmas. This is serious because Mormons have like special undergarments that they wear that mm-hmm. they say <laughs> protect them mm-hmm. well, from all, all kinds of things. So it could have been also that he wore clothes that were too big for him, like like baggy yeah. dusters. And at the time, the guns were still sure. like muzzle loaders. Like Teddy Roosevelt. That's yeah. what happened to him, yeah. yeah no, so that was because he had his eyeglass case in his speech. In his, yeah. But they said that, you know, 
what they shoot with like muzzle loaders, like the bullets may not be able to penetrate the right. yeah because the ballistics were just it wasn't the same. Yeah, would that be great if he had the golden plates underneath, like in uh, oh, uh, Back to the God, Future Three? So good, just tears oh, off the shirt. Oh, you know, today, November twelfth, today is ten oh five is when the lightning's going to strike. Nineteen fifty five. Oh man, oh. yeah, that's today. Don't you mean a three eighths inch socket? <laughs> I love that movie. So he was invincible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or in Rockwell. Yeah. You just had the look on your face like, wait, was this my story? <laughs> no, he kind of did. He was like, wait, wait, well, wait, wait. So the, the Indians respected him. Native Americans respected him. And I think it was also because not only that they couldn't kill him, yeah. but it's because I think there was a fairly decent relationship between the Native Americans and the Mormons okay. because they were both kind of being... Pushed out. Yeah. Pushed out. Yes, yeah. There was. So they yeah. found they, they some were kind made of, uh, to feel other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he became Joseph Smith's bodyguard. So he went everywhere with Joseph Smith. Hello. I went the same place, Ryan. The same place. <laughs> Wait, so that makes in this in this tangent, Joseph Smith is Whitney Houston. Yeah. <laughs> in this tangent, in no this tangent, yeah. yeah, can't prove that and he wasn't. Oren is Kevin Costner. He is. Yeah. Yes, got it. I could see Kevin Co- like an older Kevin Costner playing this guy. Sure, is he tall? Is Kevin Costner tall? Six, no actors are tall. Six foot, maybe. No actors are tall. Five, five, nine. He's five four. What about in like blue chips? What about Shaquille Kevin O'Neal? Costner's not in blue chips. <laughs> I know, but there's tall actors. <laughs> okay, who is in blue chips? Shaq's, Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. Yeah, Nick Nolte. Shaquille O'Neal. Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And for me. Yeah. Yeah. Matt. Uh, oh, hell, what's Dylan? his name? No. He was a basketball player. He played basketball with my stepdad. Um, oh, crap. I'm going to get so much crap for not getting this right. Matt, oh, so. he was on the Pacers. No, he didn't. No. He, Detlef Schrempf. He played for IU. Chris Mullen. Um, so you should know him. I should, but uh, I don't. Anyway. Bobby Knight. His name was Matt. He's the farmer. He's oh. the guy that gets the... The, the the bags on his front porch. Side note, oh, I just Matt learned. Nover. Matt Nover. Matt Bam. Nover. Got it. Got Side it. note about like suck th- it. <laughs> Everybody that doubted me. <laughs> suck it, Bobby Knight. Wow, that, that's some deep deep stuff there. Uh I just learned like three days ago that my parents had dinner at St. Elmo downtown with Bobby Knight and my mom's uncle CM Newton. Just the four of them. I was like thirteen. Had no idea until three days ago. What did they talk about? Just life, basketball, things. I, look at me. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> you don't remember that? We were, we were at the, this luncheon. Look, it was and my dad. L was talking to Jenny, and Jenny like looked away, and he was like, look at me, look at me. <laughs> He's got a point I need to make. <laughs> I need you to hear this. Just imagine him doing that to Bob Knight. <laughs> look at me. General, look at me. So anyway. Uh, all right, so he's, he's Joseph Smith's bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. And he was 100% loyal to uh, Joseph Smith. And basically protected him wherever he went because yeah. there was a lot of people that were trying to kill him. Except the end. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, when Joseph Smith kind of, when he wasn't with him, uh, he was arrested. So Joseph okay. Smith wasn't, was without Oren. Yes. And he was arrested, put in jail with like another one of his, maybe another with Brigham one. Young or somebody. Yep. And probably. that's when Joseph Smith died in jail. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So where was that? Because I remember my friend jail. telling me about the jail. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah jail. <laughs> it was yeah. in jail. It was in jail. I imagine it was in uh, jail. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds right. Does that yeah. sound right? Where was Joseph Smith killed? Deseret. <laughs> After that, he became a Mormon. Killed by a mob in Carthage, Illinois. Mm. So all this is happening in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, all yeah, Illinois. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Missouri, where does, when does Utah happen? Later. Oh, Utah's later. Okay. Brigham That's Young. like Brigham Young. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. So he became a Mormon scout and a word that starts with a G. Dan Smith, BYU. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, what was the word? What was the word? Starts with a G. G. Uh, I don't know what I wrote down. It could be oh. like grenade. Gr- grenadier? Grenade. No. Like. Grash, Grashulti. I don't know. Is that a word? Grashulti. No. Anyway, in 1949. Can I see it just to see what? <laughs> yeah, it's this one right here. Grashulti. Okay. Uh, I think that says gaucho. Yeah, he was a Hispanic cowboy. He was Argentinian <laughs> cowboy. <laughs> oh, he's got a cigar. Gaucho <laughs> marks. <laughs> little duck. He's got giant eyebrows. <laughs> hey, did you ever have you ever watched old episodes of You Bet Your Life? No. Uh-uh. The Groucho Marx game show where it is hilarious yeah he was it was so funny and the people are like it's like 1950s very stiff, very stiff and yeah. straight laced yes. and he is he's so far beyond his years just he's time so traveler. funny yeah i just Absolutely. thought gaucho marks like groucho marks but as an argentinian like with, yeah. the, with, with the big the, pants with the on. On. Yeah. he brings over meat to someone and he's like <laughs> yeah. ah, is it red or red or green Flip it over. just fighting windmills <laughs> <laughs> He's roasting it with cigars. <laughs> uh, okay. What temperature do you want this? <laughs> okay, so. So in 1949, he became the deputy. 1949. Mar- this guy is old. He lived to be 129. Wow. wow. No. It's amazing. He was invincible. No, in 1949. Do you mean in 1849? I don't know. Because <laughs> the, the Battle of Cooker Creek was 1838 when I looked it up. So I imagine it's. In 1849, there I go. assume. There we go. All right, that works. Yeah. Um, he became the deputy marshal of Salt Lake City. Okay. Yeah. And wow. he also cut his hair off. Uh-oh. He cut his hair off because there was a woman who was sick and lost all of her hair. So he cut all of his hair off so she could make a wig. Locks of love style. Yeah. Locks yeah, of love style. Yeah, yeah. And immediately died. <laughs> immediately he lost all of his strength. Just like he lost his Dorian Gray mirror. You and think so? Just, Became 85 years old and died. You'd think that would Pushed be the against thing. against the temple in yeah. one last sign of resistance. Like, you think that would be the thing in this story where yeah. he did cut his hair and all sure. of a sudden he wasn't invincible? Yeah. He, like, killed everybody at this point. Wow. So it turns out it wasn't the hair. Nope. Shocking. Um, he, according to him, he just hunted down people that needed killing. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Sorry, yeah. that was aggressive for anybody wearing headphones. I apologize. <laughs> just on the treadmill, just yeah. fell off. Wow. Yeah, they say he killed more people than Wyatt Earp, Wild Bill Hickok, <clears throat> Doc Holliday, Bat Masterson, and Tom Horn put together. Who's God. Bat Masterson? I don't know. I wrote we it need down. need to do an episode about him. It, yeah. it sounds like... Bass Reeves. Who, who was on that? They're making uh, a movie, by the way, about Bass Reeves. No, it's a TV show. Oh, okay. All right. That was a, one of your bonus episodes, right? Wow, I think back. so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay. Lone Ranger. Was he, he in was the, the inspiration for Lone Ranger? No, Bass oh, okay. Reeves was the first African American U.S. Marshal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so he he killed more people than all of those combined? Wild West put together icons combined. Yeah, that's a yeah. lot. Why have he we also, never heard of this guy? Yeah, he also operated we're not Mormon. <laughs> that's a good point. He also operated, and he's like one of the original ten, like the ten. I guess of, sure. of Mormons. And Sounds Mormons, like Mormons. That's too. like the He's founding chapter. It's like the Jesus and the apostles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. 
he also operated his own brewery in Salt Lake City. Oh. So he was so like, yeah, right? D- wait. He still drank. He Ooh, still that's right. That's right. murdered. He like he did. And what are they going to do? They're not going to tell him, hey, you can't do that. Yeah. And he only had one wife. Like this entire time. He was married to one woman. So they must have been so <laughs> angry with him. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then other stuff. And he died at 65 years old. Okay. So he definitely wasn't alive in 1940. They called him the, his nick, <laughs> I didn't say this. Uh, they called him the destroying angel of Mormondom. <laughs> okay. Mormondom. Like the Vishnu Mormondom. of, Mormondom. of, of yeah. Mormons. Yeah. Well, Mormondom. I see what you did. Russ, I that know. is a wild story. Oren, what's his middle name? Rockwell. Oren Porter Rockwell. Porter Rockwell. All right. I wonder wow. if he was related to Norman Rockwell. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Or yeah. if he was a porter. Mm. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. helping people go up an elevator. Maybe that's, that's how he got his right. Yeah. Porter's no. an elevator person. Yeah. A porter. No, if no you, porter is like suitcase, taking your luggage to a Pullman or something like that. I think a porter would be like on a, on a, on a wharf, like getting cargo off a ship. I thought it was like a train. Didn't they have a Pullman or a porter strike or something? Pullman. 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 But the Pullman porters Bill went on Pullman. strike. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And a porter beer is thick. And hearty because porters would drink it for their lunch and it would last them until they went home. I wonder if that's what he brewed in his Salt Lake City brewery. Man, maybe we'll never find out. Russ, thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever opened your pantry and wondered, what am I going to do with these 32 half-used Yankee candles in here? Listen, home decorating can be hard, especially when you've got a thousand other things going on. You need the Jealous Neighbor. My sister Heather started the Jealous Neighbor to help homeowners use the furniture and decor they already have in their home, add to it on a budget, and discover the home they've always wanted. Whether you need help just sprucing up your home's entryway or you need your entire first floor redecorated, go to facebook.com slash thejealousneighbor to schedule your consultation with my sister Heather. She will guide you through an hour consultation in person or virtually, help you assess the furniture and decor you already have in your home, and give you a plan to take your home from bow to wow. Get an hour of redecorating with Heather free when you mention that you heard about The Jealous Neighbor on the Presequential Podcast. Go to facebook.com slash thejealousneighbor today. Welcome back. Thank you. This is historically adjacent. We just learned about the destroyer of Mormonism. Destroying angel of Mormonism. Destroying angel of Mormonism. I said what I said. Uh, thanks, Russ. We're going to shift over to Ryan now and yeah. find out something about someone. Now, you, you what did you predict that it was going to uh, be? I said, here comes a uh, <laughs> musician from Indiana. Okay. It's, it has nothing to do with Indiana. Go ahead, Russ. But it is a musician. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. You had your hand up? I'm sorry. So during the break, I was showing you guys the Wanted poster. Yes. Of Oren Porter Rockwell. Yeah. And in the description says uh, he got a sawn pistol and other accoutrements of danger. Oh, oh that, I like that term. That's a cool yeah, term. I like that that's term. Accoutrements awesome. of danger. Accoutrements so of I danger. call these hands. Yeah. Yeah. Fisticuffs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going back to January 15th of 1919. Okay, Woodrow right. Wilson is our president. Sure is. Uh Calvin Coolidge, this is 13 days into him becoming governor of Massachusetts for context. Okay. Okay. So it's just after lunchtime in the north end of Boston, which is about a square mile of uh, commercial and residential blocks, really narrow streets down by the waterfront of Boston. Everybody's going about their day. It's a normal winter day in Boston. And then a a catastrophe strikes that alters history as we know it and all of our lives forever. Okay. Okay. All right. So 
Uh, the North End didn't always look that way. For a long time, it was kind of the upper crust uh, area of Boston. Paul Revere, my guy, had a had a home there. But soon, a bunch of sailors and tradesmen moved in. Then the upper crust moved elsewhere. And over the course of the next two decades, there's a huge influx of Irish, um, Jewish, and Italian immigrants that there then rose the neighborhood. set up yep. shop. Essentially, that's what people thought, too, because yeah. they're like, oh, great. This is where I know where we're putting the highway. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> there, It just happens over yeah. and over and over again. It, yeah. it became the most densely populated neighborhood in Boston, one of the most densely populated neighborhoods in all of America. There were about 40,000 people living in a square mile. There was an area called Commercial Street, which had big industrial offices. They had smaller shops lining the street. And at any given day around lunchtime, the street was packed with people, carts, horses, kids, immigrants everywhere. Towering over all of that was a 50-foot-tall, 2.5-million-gallon steel tank. It could Million f- gallons? 2.5-million-gallon tank. It was, it okay. was roughly – it could of hold water? the volume – it could hold the volume of about three and a half Olympic swimming pools worth of okay. liquid. Liquid. <clears throat> so <clears throat> in that, they contained molasses. It was destined to become rum. Oh. Earlier. Wow. Yeah. And have you guys seen molasses? It's like super dark, syrupy, very thick, right? Yeah. I went so, deep molasses dive recently. Yeah? Well, I was trying to figure out what the difference between brown sugar and sugar was uh-huh. and like molasses versus syrup. And it's it's all the same thing. Yeah, it's in the sugar the refining process. So yeah, there's a there's a process for refining sugar. And yeah. I'm going to get this wrong, but essentially, like you take the cane, and when you extract all of the the uh, brown out of it, yes. it becomes sugar. The brown that you extract out of it is molasses. Oh, brown yeah. sugar is you just don't extract all of it. Yeah. And syrup is like another refining from molasses. Yes, and oh. Mick Jagger all doesn't the same sing. Thing. Does. Yeah. Never mind. That was a Rolling Stones joke. Uh, <laughs> brown brown sugar. sugar. Oh, okay. There it is. So <laughs> this molasses. That's I was I kept like every time Jenny just painted our fireplace, and right as she was painting, I just pulled up. Painted black. Oh, painted black. Of course. It looks lovely, by the way. Thank you. It does look lovely. This molasses was going to become rum. The tank was operated by a company called the Purity Distilling Company, and it was owned by the United States Industrial. Alcohol, so the USIA, <laughs> not really the best name. Um, I can't bef- imagine what they did. Before this season, the company had made alcohol to fuel bomb blasts in the Great War, in World War One. Okay. So it was effectively kind of like a um, like a Molotov cocktail on steroids. The, the raw alcohol, uh-huh. they would produce the alcohol from the molasses. They would somehow get that into the firing mechanism of a bomb that would then explode in the Great War. But now the war's over. Wait, what? How's that work? The alcohol, it was really obviously very flammable. And so that was somehow involved in like an ammunition process for wartime. Yeah. But now they are a year away from prohibition. And so they get the idea, we need to start selling a lot of rum Mm -hmm. before the government shuts us down. Okay. Time to stock up. So they do that. And on January 13th, 1919, the USIA, again, the cleverly named United States Industrial Alcohol, which just doesn't oh, make sense. Nope. It's um, not even a commission, corporation. No, just yeah. that. All right. Seems they, like, like rubbing alcohol. They, like. they fill the tank as full as possible with molasses. Oh, okay? and is over, this going to cover a city in molasses? Over the course of two days, 
this thing starts groaning and creaking. Oh, oh yeah, it's and, like and leaking. Like it's like kids, Augustus Gloop. Kids knew yeah. for a long time, like th- th- this tank, because they wouldn't fill it all the way to the top. But you know, the tank was made such that In it would leak yeah. by by a lot of immigrant unskilled laborers, and so this tank was known to leak, but it was never filled this much mm-hmm. with molasses in that amount of time. So January 13th, there's this uh, police officer in the North end of Boston named Frank McManus. I'm and just picturing a police officer oh. from the Simpsons. <laughs> it's chief Wiggum. What's yeah. his name again? Frank McManus. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he is that making is his, his name. He's walking his routine beat around commercial street in the North end of Boston. And he hears this groaning and he starts hearing what he described as what sounded like machine gun fire. It was oh. actually the rivets that were rat tat tatting oh. off this thing. And so he actually made a call that that ended up saving a bunch of lives because he immediately somehow got in like, touch. like, we're with, about to have the slowest eruption of all time. Literally, he said, send all available rescue personnel immediately. There's a wave of molasses coming down Commercial Street. Oh, my God. That's the quote. <laughs> He's like, it's moving an inch a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. It left at 35 miles an hour. Yeah, there's a lot pushing on 40 that thing. feet Hi. Oh my this God. This is cloudy with a chance of meatballs. This, this was a tsunami of molasses coming down Commercial Street in North End of Boston. It eventually leveled out to about 20 feet. How do you and clean that? 160 feet in diameter. This this is a huge wave of I molasses. I can't 20, this. 25 minutes of absolute destruction. And we giggle, but... Everybody died. Every, right? So there was a firehouse about eighty feet away from the the, the tank, was. knocked knocked immediately off its foundation. The top pancaked the bottom, and there was a group of firefighters that were <laughs> basically. Oh yeah, I didn't even think I was going to do that because the syrup. They were underneath, trapped under the top floor while oh. this huge wave of a second molasses has hit the tower. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the direction of this. Oh God. Uh, I like when you make a joke and he just follows up with more horrific <laughs> facts. Twenty-one. You got to get him in early. Yeah. Twenty-one people died. One hundred fifty people were injured, and most of the substance would leak into people's cellars and basements. And so there was there was actually in the research that I did there was a banana salesman with a shop right across from this thing, and he had there's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had stored four thousand dollars of nineteen nineteen money. In his basement for safekeeping. There's always money in the banana And stands. he realizes, crap, my money's down there. How am I going to get it out? So you asked, how did they clean this up? It was so fossilized. I don't know if you've seen molasses, but in, in January, this stuff oh. is essentially like rock-hard tar. Mm-hmm. Okay? Sure. So pickaxes Perfectly didn't preserved. Y- yes. The, oh, in the amber. Like, like little Park. mosquitoes. Then they yeah. extract the DNA. We were at the same yeah. place. Yeah, those yeah. 20 people, they could have just recreated them. That's they could have, exactly yeah. Right. Can you just even remotely imagine drowning in molasses? No, but no. I like I almost like smell okay. syrup right so now. So what's interesting I is can't smell anything. there was there was a guy on oh, the, he was a firefighter who ants, rats and ants and pestilence. Horses just swallowed up in this giant No, we're wave. just I'm talking about the second third order effects. Yeah, like when oh, you're just cleaning sure. and you're just infestation of yeah. ants everywhere. Yeah. If ants existed back then, who knows. Yeah, and like little fat children, <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like, so a firefighter came up with the idea he said listen they even tried to burn this stuff and nothing was, was taken Woodrow Wilson like reading to a bunch of school children and somebody just walked up and whispered, <laughs> whispered in his ear 17 minutes later he then said something he got the idea he said let's try using the salt 
water from Boston Harbor and see if that oh, breaks it down, which it actually water did. Saffy. This is how so, we got no, saltwater no. <laughs> Actually, that was the stuff that finally they use salt water to scrub it off the streets, but it took like months yeah. for this to get quote unquote clean. And residents even said like decades later, if the wind was right and the sun was hot enough, you could still smell the molasses. Literally, oh, Boston nice. Harbor was brown for like months following this. Okay. So that's uh, wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Eventually, Commercial Street gets back on its feet, back in business, but the USIA, the company that owned the tank, was in huge trouble. So the steel had been too thin. Uh, They put it together way too fast. They didn't have any supervision. The next year in 1920, 110 civil suits of victims and their families and all that consolidated against USIA. This was the first significant class action lawsuit against a major U.S. company in our country's history. So. Huh? They win? Yes, eventually. It took them five years. Yeah, that's how they work. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm the, part of the burn pit one right now. I'm just never going to see that money. Oh, yeah? I can't smell anything. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I bet you could smell that. Well, there are certain things I can smell, but Jenny will be like, do you smell that? And I'm like, no. Really? Um, yeah. I didn't know this. Like, what are the things that you can smell? Uh, farts. Oh. <laughs> like sulfur. <laughs> Yeah, like cool. a very, very strong smelling thing. What about like smell. a, what happens if you go into like a bed, bath and beyond? Is it just like any other like store? Like just a candle I store. I don't know. You, you'd mentioned that one time you were at a Indy 11 soccer game and smelled the um, the smoke from the fireworks and were immediately back. No, there in, were smoke grenades. Oh. Sulfur, yeah. Oof. They shoot off smoke grenades when the 11 score. Oh, I thought mm-hmm. it was like fireworks in celebration. Well, I mean, it is yeah. in celebration, but it's not a firework. It's they're legitimate smoke grenades. Wow, yeah. they're dope. They're dope. <laughs> I bet um, those. I bet those migrant workers. Yeah, I'm sure they raised the alarm on this so many times. Oh, yes, yeah. but yeah. no one. They cared. were like, I yeah. put that rivet in. It's not staying. Literally, yeah. no one cared. Yeah, because they're like, eh, you know, riffraff. Like, it's yeah, like we're I not said, gonna... we put the highway there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the court's investigation took five years. And a thousand people testified, including experts in construction and physics and engineering. So this was the very first time that expert testimony was featured as evidence huh. in a court case. Oh, okay. So so before that, they just had like clowns? Essentially. <laughs> they were that like, we don't need to be experts on <laughs> this. Yeah, I'm like, fine. whatever. I like the song. Like 14 people got out of the car and they were like, I can testify. In April 1925, a judge ruled that the USIA's negligence led to the tank's destruction and ordered that $628,000 be paid out to victims and their families, which would have amounted in today's money to about $11 bucks. Um, Everybody got $15? No, they did, it, it, they did the math, and it was like um, essentially like $7,000 per, per person wow. for this, this, uh, this horrific accident. So before this... If you were an architect, you didn't have to have anyone review your plans. You, 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 this is why, and I learned this, architects have to sign their plans. They have mm-hmm. to literally put their name on them to say, I attest that this is going to be safe. Um, engineers have to sign and seal their building plans. Sign, seal, deliver. I'm yours. yours. It changed the dynamic between government and private businesses in America forever. So building anything in America from that point on was forever changed. We have OSHA because of this, building codes, specific <laughs> certifications that even plumbers have to have. Like they have to go through the trades to learn, to basically attest that I am worthy of doing the work that I'm doing all because of this event. And so I agree. You are worthy of doing yeah, this. You're enough. Yeah. You're enough. So our homes, schools, workplaces, 
grocery stores, favorite sports stadiums, etc., all all can get traced back to, to molasses. The Great Molasses Flood of 1919 in the north end of Boston over 100 years ago. That's that must have like owned the headlines for months. It for did. Year. If it took that long to yeah. clean it up. It, it was a national story the next day. Yeah. Which just goes to show you, too, the, the speed with which communication traveled. I mean, this is 104 years ago. Yeah. But the fact that it could be national news the next day was pretty big. Yeah. Like a 60-foot tidal wave of news. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Is that what you said it was sixty yes. feet? Yes, that's a, that was sensational. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's the and they have a they have a marker there on Commercial Street about uh, I think back in 2019 they did like a centennial kind of ceremony honoring the dead and all that kind God, of stuff. What a but, terrible way to go. Was it was it hot molasses? It couldn't have been. That's a good question. I I, I don't know. Um, Cold molasses. I would think that it was most likely room temperature molasses. Room temperature molasses. Room temp, and you got to think too. In a giant steel tank in January, it's yeah. probably pretty cold. But the yeah. pressure that that stuff had to be under to create that tall of a wave rushing at thirty-five miles an hour, yeah. and people had to be like trying to run away yeah. from it. You're just having lunch. You're just yeah. out there having lunch, and you're like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" And everything around you is getting swept up. And I what mean, if you were like having breakfast and you would just like Can I hold get a your more pancake out for my pancakes? <laughs> That's like a Monty Python bit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there you go. So uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell a story. I hope you are enjoying Historically Adjacent so far. We'll be right back. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities. Browse the current open job openings in these communities and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Welcome back. Don't be so excited. Blaine has a story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Russ. November 22nd, 1891. This Edward, is uh, timely because we're recording November in 12th. In November, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Edward Bernays, Bernays was born. Bernays. Bernays. Like the sauce? Mm-hmm. Like the sauce. Mm-hmm. In right. Vienna, Austria, Hungary. Okay. <laughs> uh, his mother, Anna, was Sigmund Freud's sister. Okay. His father, Eli, was the brother of Freud's wife. Okay, that that's very Freudian. Yeah. There's a lot in there. I think that was relatively common at the time. Though. Okay. So Sigmund Freud's this guy's uncle. And brother-in-law. Weird. Okay. Wait, no. No. What? He'd be his nephew and his uncle at the same time. I don't understand. <laughs> he was his Sigmund mother Freud's nephew. was Sigmund Freud's brother. Or sorry, his, his mo- mother no, was Sigmund his Freud's. Mother was a hamster. This really his, makes sense. His no. mother was Sigmund Freud's sister. Okay. Uh-huh. His so wife's uncle. father was the brother of Freud's wife. Okay. I get that. Yeah. I'm tracking. So right. like his mom, her dad. Yeah. Were it's married. weird. Yeah. There's a, 
There's a lot. They in moved there. to New York City in 1892. He graduated from Cornell in 1912. Yeah, along he comes married trouble. Doris Fleshman in 1922. How do you so, spell Fleshman? Uh, F L E I S C H M A N. From like margarine, like Fleischmann, Fleischmann? margarine. Yeah, so, maybe it's Fleshman. Yeah, yeah. Fleshman. So after Cornell, he wrote for the National Nurserymen um, what? What? Journal. And then the is New it, York City Produce Exchange. What Hold on. Nursery men, is that like um, like they like run... Gardeners. Oh, I was thinking like daycares. Oh, like, okay. All right. A vegetable nursery. Mm-hmm. A garden. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's not as much fun. No. Had a short time in Paris. Came back. <laughs> became the editor wow. of the Medical Review of Reviews and Dietetic and Hygienic Gazette in 1912. Just rolls off the tongue. It's yeah, it's a Med- really good name. Review of reviews. Yeah, the review of reviews and dietetic and hygienic gazette. That's very meta. Like it was a really yeah, this, long... this past week at work, I saw we're right next to like our creative services department, and there was one of the designers who was working on literally a graph about graphs, oh, and I was yeah. like, Dwayne, that's awesome. I was like, Do you that's realize great. how cool what you're doing is right now? He's like, Yeah, I kind of been. Wondering if anyone was going to pick up on that. <laughs> oh, Dwayne. Oh, Dwayne. Dwayne. We noticed, Dwayne. We yeah. see you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he wrote a review of a play called Damaged Goods, and that play was about venereal disease. Oh, oh of course. He Just called it Damaged Goods. <laughs> propaganda play that fought for sex education. Okay. So he promoted this play in yes. a way, like positively through the media. Yeah. Okay. As a way to promote sex education in okay. the United States. The, the, the damaged goods aspect of it, do you think they were talking about the people or about the so parts So it was of like an American, or it was a translated, rated, be both? translated version of a play from like France. Oh, then it was about the parts. It was about the parts. Yeah, yeah dirty parts. So he became a press agent oh. Oh, and he promoted a play called Daddy Long Legs oh, boy. to raise charity for orphans. So <laughs> he a, used the media to promote this play. It's a very Freudian name to, of a play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in order to raise funds for orphans because that was still a thing back then. Uh, when World War One started... Orphans or funding orphans? Edwards. Oh. Or, sorry... <laughs> Orphans. Okay. Edward's his name. So when World War I started, Edward was hired by the Committee on Public Information to build U.S. support for the war. Oh, propaganda. Okay. After the war, he was part of a 16-person publicity group at the Paris Peace Conference for... Publicity oh no. group? What's yeah. a publicity group? We'll get there. Is he like a PR guy? Yeah. 16. Well, yeah. We'll talk yeah, about that. Propagandist? First, stating he was using the conference by keeping up a worldwide propaganda to disseminate American accomplishments and ideals. Okay. Oh, okay. So he got a little bit of pushback because he used the word propaganda. Okay. But he was saying, like, hey, the war's over. Everything's fine now. He came out and said messaging that was used in war can also be used in peacetime to support, like, high levels of patriotism okay. and keep like the support for the United States high. Okay. And so that was like his role in this Paris peace conference was to be like, Hey, I know we did this during the war, but we could keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. He called his work public relations. Okay. Oh, so he came. So he's the father of of modern public relations. He explained it was different from advertising, even though he would soon dip his toes into the advertising sphere, as we will see soon. I bet. Madman. He had a Dixie Cup campaign in the 1930s 
convincing people that disposable cups are more sanitary. He linked imagery of an overflowing cup with subliminal images of genitalia and venereal disease. He's, Whoa, hold he's the perfect like guy he, to do this. Yeah. Wait, wait, what? Comes from the Freudian family. So he used subliminal imagery when it was still legal to do, and oh, he would just show like, like a glass cup yeah. that was overflowing with like subliminal images of like venereal diseased genitals. Oh. And be like, yeah, buy Dixie cups because throwaway cups are sanitary. <laughs> Dick C cups. Yeah. You know, because they're throwing the yeah. subliminal penises on there. In mm-hmm. 1924, he created a vaudeville pancake breakfast <gasps> to help change Calvin Coolidge's stuffy image. Well, the New York on. Times. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Wait, this is too connected. Yeah. 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 He was like, we got all this extra syrup. <laughs> Remember what happened in Boston? In yeah, so he's, he's so Calvin Coolidge needed like a reimage. Oh, he needed somebody crazy. to think that he, he needed the American public to think he wasn't stuffy, and they were like, "Well, we'll just create this pancake breakfast, and bring vaudeville acts in, and things like that." The New York Times ran a headline the next day: "President nearly laughs." <laughs> that's, fun. Um, that's fun. He Did consulted. Exp- oh, mm. Go ahead. Do you think they exported some of that molasses, like? And when they oh, cleaned sure. it up, did they export it out to like other like pancake know. breakfasts? And I don't know. Maybe it's a good question. He consulted Herbert Hoover this. in 1932 to create disunity within his opposition and present himself as an invincible leader. Wow! So he's the one that convinced Hoover to be like, "No, let me target my opponents." get them to fight each other and then I can just stand above the fray. Wow. And be like, no, I'm I'm the leader here. Look at them fighting. Wow. He helped name the president's emergency committee for employment because it sounded better than the committee for unemployment. Okay. He, he spun it. Uh, he's a spinster. Yeah, he's a he's a spin guy. He then yeah. worked with the US during propaganda or on propaganda during World War II after turning down the Nazis. Nazis came to him oh, to help him what? run their propaganda campaign. He said no. I mean, he's Jewish. Well, I was just going to say they yeah. had to know the connection to Freud, but they must have looked past that to go. Well, they looked past it all the time yeah. for all their scientists and yeah, all that. Right, like, right, yeah. right. And Hitler. I mean, he was part yeah. Jewish. Yeah. Wait, he was? Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. His father, right? Yeah. Gosh. So he turned down the Nazis. His real he name is Hitler. He would later turn down. What? what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was a, a name change. It was like... Hitler's thing? No, I don't remember it now, but it's a much longer name, and it's not oh, nearly gosh. as catchy. Like, if this guy would have told him to change his name to Hitler versus what it was before, I imagine, if what they would have come to him for, wow. like, PR. Well, he would later turn down Richard Nixon, so there was stuff he would turn down on principle. That's a long life. Not much. Yeah, oh good! Right. Oh no, it's a very long That's life. Wait long till life. you learn when he died. Okay. Remember, he was born in 1891. Yeah. Okay, he worked for Chesterfield Cigarettes after the war. Oh, okay. just a refreshing Chesterfield cigarette, <laughs> yeah. showing Great opera singers smoking women. them and saying they're better for your voice than Lucky Strike. Yeah. Huh. So Lucky Strike, American Tobacco Company that owned Lucky Strike, swooped in and hired him to help him to help run the Lucky Strike campaign. He was like the James Madison. He wrote this side and then he got hired by the other guy to write the other side. Yeah. He created the Torches of Freedom March to make women smoking in public less taboo. The Torches of Freedom? Yeah, so like they, they, had, this, they had this sounds very Charlottesville. This, this march 
where women were publicly smoking in the march because yes. at the time tab- women in public smoking was taboo. Wow. And so he spun wow. it as this like, well, women that smoke are less likely to be like charlatans. Mm. Like if they're That's like true. for some reason, if they're smoking, they're less likely to be floozies. Yeah. Wow. Wait. <clears throat> what? Yep. You think that the logic would at that time was because I heard if she smokes, she pokes. Yeah. At one point, I've heard that too. Lucky Strike had green packaging on their cigarettes, and they were about to roll out this whole green uh, cigarette pack. And they were told, like, no, you need to do a, a more neutral color. Okay. Like, it won't work if it's green. So, what he did was he created a thing called the green ball, and he got a bunch of women celebrities and celebrities in general. To come to this ball dressed in like green suits and green dresses and stuff like that, smoking, and then the world saw it and they were like, "Oh, green's the in color right oh, yeah, now." Green's oh. in because all these celebrities. So when they released this the green Lucky Strike uh, boxes, yeah. that was like, "Well, we have to smoke Lucky yeah, Strike's we, we, green." Oh, yeah, the I mean, cool he was probably right an now. expert in green balls because of the VD thing. <sighs> yeah, well, sure. Um, well he done, never he never allowed any of the tobacco companies to promote that he worked for them. Okay. He was never a smoker, and he spent most of his life trying to convince his wife to quit smoking. Wow. Oh, but she was... Like, he was a propagandist. Wow. So... Propagandist. Propagandist? Is propagandist. Is that what it is? Propagandist? propagandist. I think he dropped the A. So then... The United Fruit Company hired him oh. to promote bananas. Oh, man. Okay. Bananas are rough. This is going to be rough. He took it a step further, convincing <laughs> them they should promote the banana growing countries. Oh, man. Around oh, the world. The banana republics. The banana republics. He created close relationships with journalists to get stories planted. And in 1952, he brought a tour of these journalists to Guatemala. Oh, wow. So this, this is uh, Eisenhower-ish around This then? directly inspired the CIA yes. to yeah. start a coup in Guatemala, which they hired him for wow. to promote the guy that they were trying to get put into position in Guatemala in one of our first banana republics. His name was Carlos Castillo Adams. Okay. He then, after Castillo was put in, after we successfully completed the coup, ran a campaign to build up the image of Carlos Castillo Adams after the coup. Even though the dude was like straight communist dictator. Yeah. Like all, like we said we were going in. Well, we didn't say we were going in. But we promoted it as a, like, we need to save democracy, and we put a communist in to make sure that American Fruit Company would own the land and be able to pump bananas out of Guatemala. Oh, that's probably why he didn't like green, because green bananas aren't ripe, Mm, right? His main philosophy was that the masses are driven by factors outside of their conscious understanding. Therefore, their minds can and should be manipulated by a capable few. That's dangerous. Yeah. When you drop should in there. Intelligent men must realize propaganda is the modern instrument by which they they can fight for productive ends and bring order out of chaos. I have to wonder. Let me say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intelligent men must realize propaganda is the modern instrument by which they can fight for productive ends and bring order out of chaos. Jeez. 
Wow. So he, wow. like, his whole concept was like, no, most people are really dumb. Yeah. And yeah. us smart people have to, like... The, the intelligentsia. Yeah. We yeah. have to... It's our duty to convince them that they're wrong and we should tell them what to do. Wow. He's the, he's the author of all of this. Yeah. And that's Freud's really, nephew. That really has never gone out of style since. No. Right? No. no like, I that mean, that's the, like the main thing that we do. Yeah. Like, now... He died in 1995. He was 104? He was 104 when he died. Clinton, right? He was named one of the 100 most influential people of the century by life. What was his name again? Edward Bernays. And here we are thinking he made the sauce. And we're like, okay, how's Brian going to get the sauce? I was talking to Ginny about it at dinner, and she was like, oh, Bernays sauce? And I was like, not quite. (laughs) Not quite. I would also argue he was probably the most influential person of the century. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really surprised that he turned down the Nazis, to be honest, after the statements wow. that he It didn't made. seem like he had any morals when it came to work. Yeah. Like, or people. He had some morals in his personal life, yeah. obviously, but he didn't have any morals when it came to work. And whether good or bad, bad. I mean, he invented PR and propaganda, and he perfected propaganda. Gosh. Like, I would say that he was the most influential person of the 20th century. What was his first name? Sorry. Edward. Edward, Edward Bernays. Bernays. I was actually surprised. I, I expected, I figured you would know him. No. Um, wow, that's wild. I have worked in steakhouses before. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> this guy, Bernays man. Sauce. I mean, really he, was, he was like the driving factor. There was a lot of stuff that I left out of that. But he was yeah. like the driving factor in, in getting cigarettes to be so popular. He wow. was one of the guys that did the whole like nine out of ten doctors yeah. choose Lucky Strike. Yeah. Because this one's more healthy. This one's better for opera singers. When like, were they not And then able to be able to, to take that up a notch yeah. and start a freaking coup in Guatemala That's to insane. create a banana republic over yeah. propaganda. Like it was it's all propaganda. Wow. Like obviously there was a small amount of a ground war, but the way that you want went the way they won over the citizens of Guatemala yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. What else did he do that we don't know about? Because it sounds mm. like oh, he was very yeah. much in the background. Mm-hmm. He he was Shadowy. working with the government. Like he must have <laughs> That's crazy though. You say that he was Freud's uncle. Like you have to think Nephew. Nephew, I'm sorry. Nephew and uncle. Thinking the connection of how much, how much influence that Freud's theories had upon this young man. Oh, well, yeah. and I didn't get into like he talked in his Wikipedia article. It talks about like how he used a lot of the Freudian concepts in his like scientific nature of yeah. like how he built campaigns. Uh, well, the, he the was flashing sub- penises. The whole the- subliminal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember there was like a uh, a Coke. A Coca-Cola thing where, like, for at least in high school, everybody was like, you see the boobs in that? And it's like, I mean, granted, when you're 17, you see them everywhere. But like, Yeah, calculators. But then you go, oh, my gosh. Like, how's that legal? Because those are definitely boobs making me want a Cherry Coke Zero. Um, yeah, boobs will do that. Yeah, boobs will do that. Uh, I'm going to research that guy more. That's crazy. Yeah, that, or I'm going to yeah. start saying propaganda sauce um, and make oh, people yeah. go, what? <laughs> yeah. And then tell them the story yeah. that Blaine just shared. Oh, you're getting the eggs benedict? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't eat propaganda sauce. <laughs> I don't do that. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm going to get mine scrambled. Thank you. Uh, man, what a great episode. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to become a patron for five or ten bucks a month, you get all kinds of cool rewards for that. You can find that link in our show notes. We'll see you. No, we won't see you. We'll You'll be listening to us in about two weeks. See you soon.